Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we will be discussing British drama Dark River, as well as hearing from its writer and director, Clio Barnard. I'm Sam Howlett and joining me down the river this week are Stephen Ryder. Hi. And Kelly Powell. Hello, Sam. How are you both? <laughs> down the river. <laughs> that was a shocking fact. Sorry. I had to do something. Yeah, he does it every time. Uh, so, despite only making three films... Clio Barnard has become one of the most exciting British auteurs working at the moment. Her debut feature film, The Arbor, expertly blurs the lines between fiction and reality, and her sophomore work, 2013's The Selfish Giant, explored the attempts of two young boys to make something of themselves in a harsh, poverty-stricken landscape. For her third film, Barnard has loosely adapted Rose Tremaine's novel Trespass, moving the action from mid-century France to present-day North Yorkshire, where Alice, played by Ruth Wilson, returns to her family farm, now run by her brother Joe following the death of her father, played by Sean Bean in flashbacks. As the two siblings battle over the ownership of the farm, a traumatic history haunts Alice and begins to resurface. I sat down with Clara Barnard last week and we spoke about farming, realism and her work at the University of Kent, which is where I went. Enjoy. So, Clara Barnard, welcome to the Curzon Podcast. Thank you. Uh, so, we're here to talk about Dark River. So, this has been... Five years since The Selfish Giant? Yes, five yeah. years, yeah. And yeah. Um, was this always going to be your next film after The Selfish Giant? Um, yes, it was, in fact, the, um, I've been sent the novel before of Trespass, which it's uh, inspired, yeah. Dark River, before I made The Selfish Giant. Okay. So, so once I'd finished The Selfish Giant, really, I moved, I moved onto, onto this. Okay, and what was it then about this story and about the book that made you think, you know, yes, I, I have to make this, this will be my next film? Well, um, it was the, really the relationship between the siblings. Okay. So in, in the novel, there's two sets of adult siblings, yeah. but it was the, it was the um, adult siblings who, beca- who became Alice and Joe in Dark River that really kind of captured me. Yeah. Um, and in a way his kind of chaos and um, aggression and yeah. the, but that comes out of him kind of carrying this burden of guilt that doesn't really belong okay. to him um, and her kind of lockdown rage really, that, those were the things that, that interested me and, and captured me and, and then him making this uh, sacrifice really for her yeah. in order to liberate her. Okay. And in, in some ways, I was, I was almost more interested in him than in her because 
it, I found it so sad that he carried this guilt with him that didn't really belong to him. Yeah, okay. It's interesting then in the past year or so, there have been quite a few of these British films set in like farm, farming communities mm-hmm. or more rural areas of Britain, like the levelling or God's Own Country. I mean, what is it about this environment that you think's really speaking to, um, to British filmmakers at the moment? I think it's to do with the environmental crisis. Okay. I think it's about um, needing to look realistically yeah. at nature and what it is and what it means and, yeah. and what we should and sh- or shouldn't be doing with it yeah. and, and how we've abused it in a way and, um, and also how we have a kind of romantic fantasy yeah. about it. And I think it's really important that that's challenged mm. and I think we've associated realism with urban environments mm. and so it's really exciting to me that we're, that there's a kind of realism looking at the countries the countryside yeah. or, or not really the countryside the natural world um, in a kind of realistic way okay um, I saw in an interview then that um, so this started for you as a straight adaptation of the novel mm-hmm. but a is it like a producer or a financer told you to make it more you yeah, um, yeah, fi- financiers, okay. uh, well, yeah, to make it mine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what's that feeling like, that someone's giving you the more kind of freedom and more trust to say, do what you want with it, don't feel too tied down to anything, you know? Well, yeah, fan- you know, fantastically liberating yeah. And, and kind of, um, yeah, and simultaneously daunting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, because it does mark a kind of interesting point of your career, I suppose, that you're giving that freedom and that liberation. I mean, how much attention do you pay to the way audiences or critics kind of view your work and your, your body of work and view you as this almost an auteur at this point? I think in some ways you have to kind of try and not think about what other people make of what you yeah. do, which is quite hard. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but... Because in some ways the selfish giant was so different from the arbor, mm. um, you know, like conceptually they were they were so they were so different, yeah. and you know, there's part of me that kind of thought, oh, the people who like the arbor they're not going to like this, <laughs> and the people who like this are not going to like yeah. it, and you just you just have to shut those voices out really, okay. and and follow your follow an impulse, okay. and kind of keep going, yeah. With with the, that creative impulse that you have, you, you kind of, yeah, you need, to, you need to follow it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned earlier this idea of realism. Is mm-hmm. that kind of a field you consider yourself part of, largely? Well, it's, I mean, it's funny with Dark River because in some ways it's, um, I don't know, it is realism. Mm. But because I tried to do this thing... Well, there's a lot of... Sort of pseudo dream sequences and fantasies from um, Ruth Wilson's character's point of view. Yeah, well, I mean, they're not really meant to be dream sequences yeah, or memories. fantasies. They're, they're, what they're meant to be very specifically intrusive memories. Yeah, which which work in a really different way from from um, you know regular memories. Yeah, because okay. they're not voluntary. Right, they they intrude or they trespass, yeah. and. Um, I suppose part of my thinking was that what is going on in our minds affects 
profoundly what happens yeah. in our in the real world. Sure, yeah. So so that was that was what I was trying to communicate in okay. some way. And also, you know, in the, in a novel, obviously, it's really easy to jump around in time and, yeah. and be inside somebody's head. And film, especially realist film, doesn't really lend yeah. itself to that. Okay. Um, but it's still the, the stories that we tell ourselves, the yeah. things that go on in our, our, our kind of internal, that, that we internalise, especially things that we internalise that can't be spoken about or, yeah. or, we, or we've been silenced about or right. are difficult to talk about, have a huge impact on how um, people's actions in the real world. Yeah. So that's what I was trying to okay. achieve, yeah. was, was kind of some sense of that. Okay. Um, so in all the three feature films you've made, you've focused on sort of the lives of people from poorer or working class backgrounds. And then a, a filmer like, for example, like Ken Loach does so with a very political edge and he's very vocal about film, how mm. films should have a political stance. I'm curious, do you have the same stance to filmmaking? I think all films are political, whether yeah. they think they are or not. Right. And yes, I definitely think that my films are political. I don't think I'm as good at articulating my <laughs> politics um, verbally. Yeah. Um, in, in a way, Ken Loach is absolutely brilliant at. And, um, I, I, and so I try and express it through my work. Yeah. I th you know, it's definitely there in the arbor. It's definitely there yeah. in the selfish giant, which, in some ways, is about um, how destructive an ideology of greed mm. is. And it's also there in Dark River. Perhaps, um, possibly, it's too subtle. I'm not really sure. I think okay. sometimes, you know, you have to have this stuff reflected back at you. Yeah. Before, you, but it was very important to me that they were tenant farmers. Yeah. And not owner occupiers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it was very important to me that the landlord, rather than being landed gentry, which you know, in that part of Yorkshire, that's it's it's. The, the land is the la big landowners are still are people who've owned the land for yeah. you know forever since the Enclosures Act, um, but also more recently the, you know the uh, water authority, which since it's been privatised becomes an asset. So water, mm. rather than being a natural resource that belongs to everybody, yeah. becomes something that's owned for uh, a profit, and the same as the the farms. Whereas people who've you know worked the land for generations and generations and generations yeah. are basically squeezed out as um, the countryside becomes gentrified. Okay. So um, and in a way, what I was trying to do with the film was kind of draw some kind of um, implied parallel between the exploitation of the land and the exploitation of Alice's body. Yeah. And and also the kind of um, objectifying of both yeah that we you know that we look at we want we want to look at landscape as this beautiful thing yeah um and and that that's actually quite destructive because yeah. we're not seeing the reality of it in the same way as her body is seen uh, you know she bec is bec she becomes a kind of sexual object in a way yeah for for her uh, father who then coerces his son into into um, yeah. seeing her in the same right. way, okay. so yeah, there's. To me, it's it's definitely a political film. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
So I went to uh, the University of Kent. Oh, did you? Where you are, of <laughs> course, really? the, re- the reader there. Um, mm. And I know a lot of people that, um, that took representing actualities. Oh. I just wanted to ask you about how... Can you talk about the sort of the intersection between an active career filmmaker and the kind of the academic side of things, like how those two bodies intersect and relate to each other for you? That's really interesting, that, that module, because... <laughs> Um, there was a m- huge intersection between the two things when I made the Arbor because yeah. I was because yeah uh, you know I guess my research at the time was about documentary and the, yeah. and the relationship between um, you know re- reality and representation and and in some ways the the Arbor came out of of teaching that module right, okay so there was a very kind of close intersection yeah. at that point. Um, I suppose I've moved away from that more now, yeah. and um, but I, I I I value that because it's a bit of a kind of um, brain gym, yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean, which is quite which. So it's a kind of it's a good environment in in some ways to be um, think it enables you to think about film in a in a sort of. Um, Non-commercialized, yeah. Sense, okay. Which is not to, t- anyway. I thought you'd be interested to know that um, a few of your films are now uh, on the modules. Oh, so uh, oh. I took film criticism in second year and The Selfish Giant. Oh, there was a week on The Selfish Giant and. Oh, you were at the, you did film at university. I did, I did, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, and oh, it's then. It's so um, great to see what everybody yeah. ends up doing. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, we studied the Arbor as well for documentary week. Oh, so, great. Uh, yeah, you're. Your name is still bandied around a lot. Okay, good. <laughs> Great. And um, can you tell us anything about what you're working on next at all? Um, it's early days, really. It's probably too early days. But, um, yeah, I've got a kind of a few different things. Uh, yeah, one which I'm writing. Yeah. And kind of following a similar process in, to The Selfish Giant. Yeah. And other things that I'm working I'm working with writers, yeah. which is a kind of quite, in, which is, is I've been doing that as well over the last five years, okay. kind of developing things with writers, and that's a collaboration that's quite new to me because yeah. I've, I've always written my own stuff, um, but I love collaborating, so it's you know I'm excited by that. It's something that I'm really enjoying. Great, Claire Barnett, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> okay. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So that was Clara Barnard. So I think the first thing to talk about, which is really interesting, is the this whole idea of exploring the rural landscape in British cinema that's happening mm-hmm. at the moment. And I briefly touched on this with Clio. God's Own Country, the levelling, mm-hmm. to an extent Lady Macbeth as well. Yeah. And now this, all these films looking at 
British countryside. What did you guys think about how this film explores that part of Britain? Well, they're not happy, are they? In, no. In, uh, <laughs> in rural Britain. There's, um, which is strange because, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in, it's not as rural as we see in something like Dark River, but I grew up in a in a fairly rural place and, and people are kind of happy there. Um, but obviously the landscape in these films now is being used as a metaphor mm. so much. Um, yeah. uh, and, and they're kind of dragging this idea of like isolation and repression from from the British landscape. And um, and it's working. Like there's, these films are doing really, really well. Yeah. And I, I think that it does give directors an opportunity and audiences an opportunity as well to see um, a side maybe of, uh, of, of Britain that we don't get to see often enough. Kelly, you are not of these shores no. so what is the perception of this part of what in this film particularly or just, just in, in general, general when you think of the british countryside like it's very endearing yes uh, yeah. picturesque obviously comes to mind and nostalgic in a way mm-hmm. uh i mean i love it like i've got this sort of fantasy about the british countryside you know and mm. i'm always you know Want to take road trips, and, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I don't know if it's going to be like that, but um, but it is it is uh, captivating in some way, um, and specifically like in contrast to coming from London, mm, yeah. you know, mm. just the space and the time to breathe, and I, I like how this film lets us sit in those quiet moments. I think you know, oh, they're like, the, the great, the yeah. best bits of the yeah, film. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, they that are the lets best you breathe. It really like the space mm-hmm. kind of uh, mm. you can feel it. Yeah, the landscape really like pulsates. Yeah. a lot like yeah. it's got real life to it and I, yeah. uh, I really enjoyed those moments where you get to just um, you know, where there's a focus on uh, machinery and, and, and wet grass and kind of that like visceral kind of nature of the countryside I thought that, that Barnard does an amazing job of kind of capturing that um, which you wouldn't be able to do mm, the if pacing you, you know. was very good in this film yeah oh yeah the for pacing sure. was very good yeah 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 like i said it pulsates it's got, yeah it's got life to it yeah um which which is excellent yeah exactly um i heard the edit actually got changed have you have you heard about this i don't know this no. yeah like they 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 had a a rough kind of cut of the film that was very very different okay. um from the uh from what we what we got to see um which is fascinating to but me narratively narratively yeah but i think barnard maybe wanted to give more uh attention to the countryside more attention to yeah. like the 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 landscape of the film um, which i think this film needs yes yeah. Yeah, yeah it does it does it does um and i think it works much better yeah. for it and going back to what kelly was saying just there this idea that the british countryside is this kind of dreamlike fantasy it's a place where people escape the city and escape the urban environments um where you sort of people retire there and mm. you go to i think here and in god's own country the leveling lady Macbeth, there's this idea that the, the countryside is tough and raw and brutal and it does, as you say, is metaphorical for a sort of troubled state of mind in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that, you know, is in something about like Wuthering Heights as well. Yeah. But I feel like in the past 10, 20 years, it's kind of died down a bit, whereas now it's really rising up. Mm. Uh, interestingly, this was shot by um, Adriano Goldman, who was the DP on Jane Eyre, the Carrie uh-huh. um, Fukunaga film. Yeah. Oh, wow. And the, that the, has a yeah. real sort of connection to the kind of, you know, the sort of soil... Yeah. beneath their feet um, mm-hmm. the sort of muddy British landscape that's a beautifully yeah. beautifully filmed film I can see I can definitely see the connection yeah. there actually yeah. um, you mentioned then how the memory plays part in the film mm-hmm. um, which to me is a really and in the interview Barnard says that it's because I asked well yeah as you heard I asked about how this idea is that it's sort of fantasy playing into realism and she said it's not necessarily fantasy it's intrusive memories 
And that's yeah. a really nice phrase, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a great uh, aspect of the film visually um, yeah. that we have all this like kind of calmness and like you said, Kelly, like the film having time to breathe. But uh, the way that Barnard cuts it um, very directly yeah. without kind of any indication that we're about to see a flashback. Sometimes, um, you know, someone will come into the shot that shouldn't be there. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very disorientating. And you, and you really get a feeling that she's like unable to stop these memories yeah. from like suddenly surging, surging up mm. and and that's all because of the way that Barnard films it yeah. like it's it, it could have been kind of hackneyed and it could have been obvious and I think this is something that changed in the uh, the, the right. edit okay. because Sean Bean's part is obviously kind of um, not as big as it was yeah. that he first thought it was going to be um, and I think it's it, the film's all the more better for it because he's he exists then as a kind of like spectre. a spectre um, a, a, a nuisance in a way but like obviously mm. more than a nuisance yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he, he just turns up at the most kind of like uh, surprising of times and um, it's super super effective in the way that that is portrayed like mm. with memory yeah, yeah. Mm, trauma and uh, mm, mm. yeah mm, mm. And, and I think she's talked a lot about how they uh, she wanted to show how these two characters, um, the brother and um, what's her name? Sorry, the Alice. Alice um, <clears throat> are both dealing with this trauma in different ways. Yeah. 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 yeah, which I thought was great. Was anyone distracted by Sean Bean? <laughs> I was, I was like, first. oh, hello. Oh, it's Sean Bean. <laughs> I was like, what's he doing here? <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange piece of casting actually because he's such really an imposing. Figure in exactly. British kind of uh, culture and British British cinema culture, British TV culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if that's something Barnard was going for. I think it does add to the character in a weird way. It's al- almost stunt casting. Mm. Yeah. It does really. It really hits you that that's mm. Sean Bean. Yeah. And you, if it was just a random guy, you might not have the same. When you first see the, like you're saying, that the flashbacks come unexpectedly, very suddenly. Mm. Don't don't outstay their welcome. Mm-hmm. If it was just some guy, you might not really pay that much attention that's to that. maybe yeah that's what, maybe Sean true Bean doing yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um and he's not in it much and he has you know next to no dialogue in the film but he still seems like a fully realized character i thought mm. um he's not this kind of ultimate evil no he is there's something kind of that sort of pathetic about him mm. rather than domineering or frightening yeah yeah no i'd agree which is all the more scary yeah actually i guess it is yeah and it's almost like just going back to what we were saying about the landscape you know um i i you know i think she's quite concerned with like breaking that picturesque sort of fantasy view of of Mm. of the countryside Mm. um and tying in with what we were saying about you know this kind of film being a metaphor you know the landscape the countryside being a metaphor. I read a quote that she said in the Financial Times. Mm-hmm. She she quoted this ecologist. His name is Timothy Morton. And the quote she uses, which is, I'll get to my point after this, is she said, putting something called nature on a pedestal and admiring it from afar does for the environment what patriarchy does for the figure of the woman. Um, it's a paradoxical act of sadistic admiration, which I thought was very interesting and a very interesting read of the film mm. because basically what she's trying to do is show that like the exploitation of the land, you know, and our sort of disconnect from understanding what the countryside is and like the kind of way of life, you know, and yeah. how hard it is and what people go through to provide, you know, food or whatever it is. Um, is equivalent to sort of you know the the exploitation that she undergoes from her father. Yeah, no, know? that's that's really interesting. Which I thought was an interesting read of the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah you know, for sure. Gives it more 
you know, it's political and it mm. makes a statement. Yeah, I mean, maybe the climate that we're in at the moment in terms of kind of like uh, both both in terms of class, which I think this mm-hmm. film touches yeah. upon, mm-hmm. yeah. and in terms of like gender roles in society, mm-hmm. which it also touches upon, are like um, maybe why filmmakers are looking more into the countryside at the moment. And, and uh, I think that her physicality in this film which we haven't said yet Ruth Wilson's yes, incredible in this oh, yeah. film yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a real like um, st- kind of I, won't, I don't want to say star making performance but it's something that like puts her up there maybe as uh, oh, you know someone who's going to really break through uh, in the next couple of years but her physicality in this film is amazing Yeah, which comes from the fact that uh, Barnard sent uh, sent them to a farm to yeah. work on it yeah. uh, and I think it pays off I think it pays off like she really um, there's, there's the scene with the sheep yeah the Dipping the sheep, oh. yeah. which I had no idea was a thing. No, me neither. I don't know what why they for? do it. I'm not sure what this for. Probably to keep the wool. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, Sweet. I'm not a farmer, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> three, three people in the studio and so. But you you do, I mean, maybe that's, it, maybe it's good that that scene's in there because whilst it you're watching good. it, you're thinking like, what the hell are these guys doing? Yeah, exactly. Um, they know what they're doing. Yeah, but it <laughs> seems doing like... They're doing it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't even know that they're doing it well enough. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant sheep dipping there. <laughs> but, uh, that is the best sheep dipping I've seen on screen. <laughs> she's, she, I mean, you can tell that she's done it before, though. Um, whereas if, you know... Yeah, you can. Yeah. She knows what if, she's doing, man. She, she's got this look on her face that she's just kind of tired of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas if you, you know, you bring someone onto set to wrangle a sheep <laughs> in like the first, uh, <laughs> the first time they've ever done it, that's gonna show. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, no, but she seems fairly comfortable around the sheep and around the tools and things like that. And uh. obviously, like you see her, um, you see quite a lot of her body, um, her arms, and they're, yeah. you know. She's she's strong. she's, she's, strong. she's mm. not just a strong like which is, woman. Which is she's a, a physically strong yeah, person. Yeah. Have to be. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think that there's that contrast between you know f- being physically strong and a, and you know her being she's comfortable in her body, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. her mind isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's with the the haunting of the flashbacks mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, and there's a nice juxtaposition there between like you know the the strength of her body versus like you know maybe the the cracks in her psyche as opposed to yeah. what yeah. we usually get which is like a, a non-imposing woman with a strong yeah. like uh you know a strong spine yeah. and like a, the, the ability to do things that other people can't yeah. this yeah. is almost a reversal of that which yeah. is really cool exactly. and her brother obviously as well is uh is dealing with it very differently mm-hmm. um but he's he's again physically imposing figure he is. Yeah. you know um yeah. this 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 whole cast of characters mark are stanley mark stanley yeah. yeah who's who's again fantastic all the all everyone in this movie i think really uh embodies the role yeah. That, that, yeah. that they've been given um and, and they, they feel like real people you yeah, know yeah, they yeah. don't they're not archetypes like mm. you were saying sean bean yeah. you know he has this quality that yeah. feels like a real you know and it makes it more scary yeah. and joe's you know uh, mark stanley's character um, also, you don't trust him. You're like, at one minute, minute you're sympathetic to him, yeah. and then the next, then mm. you're like, ah, oh, he's coming at her. Mm. I think mm-hmm. he's perhaps the more conflicted character. Yeah. Because, I mean, um, Clara Barnett had this great line in her interview, which was that um, Joe carries a burden of guilt that doesn't belong to him. Yeah. That's a really nice way of putting it, that yeah. he, he knew it was happening between Sean Bean's character and, and Alice. Mm. Yeah. He kind of he was in this and he and then when Alice left he was the one that had to stay with the dad for uh. we don't know how many years but it must have been about <coughs> 20 odd years yeah. 15 she, he said she's been 15. gone for 15 
15, That's 15 years. years. That's a long time just to be left with Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think um, the the neglect um, that he shows towards the farm as well. Yeah. And her like, um, did she come? Did she come back with the? with the idea of rebuilding this farm or mm. does she come back with the idea of just selling this farm? No, he wants, yeah, no, she wants to re- yeah. rebuild it and get it back to, she says at one stage, which I thought was an interesting line, she wants to get it back to like the efficiency that it was when her mother and grandmother mm-hmm. was running, right. were running mm-hmm. the farm. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is an interesting. Very, very interesting. Because that's like past generations where, you know, yeah. you would think the, the men are, are doing yeah. the... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that... Um, that that's a really interesting character trait and a really interesting indication of of where they are in their lives is that he wants to just get rid of this thing. He wants to chop it off and leave it behind, whereas <coughs> she think... wants to kind of work through it and turn it around and rebuild. You know, and that's you know they're dealing with it in completely different ways. I think he's holding on to the the semblance of like what it was, you know, yeah. uh, and he d- he doesn't want things to change. Which is the dipping scene was interest was a very interesting power play yeah, because is. actually she's like I want to spray them and he, because that's obviously she's been working on farms in New Zealand and around the yeah. world and she's kind of with what is working on working farms and he's very indignant about the fact that he dips the sheep you know and he like asserts his dominance which is not in effect I mean yeah. it's inefficient yeah um, but he's he won that power play you uh-huh. know uh-huh. Uh, so he, I think he's like he wants to hold on to what was and not move forward, which I think again comes with the trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of now that the father is gone, you know, he's got to face this thing. Yeah, he's yeah. forced to. They both are. I mean, know? it's the uh, she. She does a great job of kind of making their problems worse once this kind of um, figure, uh, this negative figure in their lives is gone. Like rather than rather than uh, you know him ruining their lives whilst he's around once he goes they're forced to confront it yeah exactly. because now they have to deal with like yeah they can't run away anymore yeah. um and I, th- I think she does a fantastic job of that like an absolutely fantastic yeah. job yeah i think what's interesting as well it's important that they're they're tenants on the land they're not owners yes and you have they're these, fighting over that tenancy, you have these yeah. two figures coming in and one's like this, this young guy that's like trying to convince them to, to sell up yeah and he's the land agent and he, the, way, he, the way he wears his boots his <laughs> mountain boots it just looks ridiculous mm-hmm. like he really shouldn't be there he really walks into a, a minefield city yeah, yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah <laughs> good city hands <laughs> uh, was quite there for anyone that caught that um and i think one of the things i loved best about the film is this that their battle over the farm and mm. how the, and <clears throat> so you get the sense that joe feels like he's he's one that's stuck by the farm and he was one that cared for the father even though the father wasn't the particularly nice person but he looked after the father while he was dying he's cared for the farm all these years Whereas Alice, I think there's a sense that she feels she's owed it because of what she went through in a way. Mm. Did you get that? Or yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Ownership, I think, is yeah. an important thing. I think, and yeah, I think I I read somewhere that like ownership is actually a, a theme. Um, you know, ownership of the farm, <clears throat> or the tenancy agreement, or whatever it is, but also ownership of one's body, ownership of the trauma, yeah. ownership of like what you've gone through acceptance you know yeah. she's she's mentioned kind of thing. she's mentioned uh, i think we touched upon it earlier about yeah. how uh you uh, the the father objectifies the daughter's body and yeah. then the yeah. daughter and the son objectify the land yeah exactly. um and uh that is really fascinating um and that you c- again you couldn't do that in a film 
set in the city. No. Like it's no. when you get out into the countryside, there's this idea. There's this idea of ownership of the land. Yeah, like we, exactly. It, we yeah. we spend a lot of time in London. You know, we we have ownership of buildings or ownership of rooms. Like I mean, we don't. <laughs> no, no, we certainly don't. But like that's that's Maybe what we that's what we come into uh, yeah. kind of contact with, like landlords owning buildings. Yeah, this is very very different. This is people you you know owning land yeah this is something you can't build more of it's a very intangible yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry a very tangible thing but also in the same way kind of spiritual yeah um, it's also owning that identity you know yeah, like yeah. I, this is who I am you yeah. know in mm-hmm. this space mm-hmm. yeah, you certainly seem to have that more with like um, with farming land than you do with, yeah. with building I mean she ran away from a farm to other farms yeah. it's not like mm. she ran away to the city or like you mm. know it's part of who she is it's mm. part of her, mm. her identity yeah for sure yeah and there are there are a few scenes where they leave the farm, um, and Alice mm. goes to um, to sell off some sheep. She goes to a pub. She goes mm. to the Dark River, I guess, of the title. Part of me wished it was all on the farm, because I think the strength of the film is these two, yeah, this, this brother and sister relationship, and going, you know, reliving what they're going through and the battle for the farm. Those are the best scenes, and I felt maybe I mean, there's not to say these scenes outside the farm are bad at all. It's just when they leave the farm, you do kind of lose that sense of sort of that energy. Mm, what do mm, you think of mm. that? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think that it's uh, it works far more effectively as almost like a chamber piece that's yeah. all set on this mm. farm yeah. that you can't escape. Yeah. Uh, once she kind of steps back into this world, she 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 gets trapped in it. Um, and those the scenes away from the farm. I mean, I, I do like the 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 scene where the guy tries to convince her to take uh, the price of the yeah, the, right. the animals. It's a good it's a good scene, um, but it does for a moment uh take away from the film's kind of uh yeah um, i do think it but i do think it it it, um it lends itself to the pacing which i think Mm. was important Mm. because i think i think it might have got a bit monotonous the that with the flashbacks Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know i'm speculating Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um maybe it just gave a little bit of yeah and contrast to who she is outside of that you know yeah which i think is also important i i feel personally like maybe bernard uh would have liked to make a more experimental film um, yeah, you do get but that. But she sense. was given a lot of freedom. Yeah, um, yeah. She was encouraged by the um, the producers and the the money men to um, make it more Barnardy. Hmm. If that, that's it, if that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was I was thinking about this earlier that it's like a very strange career kind of trajectory for her to yeah. to go from something like The Arbor, which was a very experimental, totally like yeah. um, uh, narrative film. It wasn't experimental in the sense that you didn't know what yeah. was going on, but she was using a lot of different <coughs> techniques to um, to kind of get her point across. Whereas this feels a lot more rooted in kind of British melodrama. Um, I think so. Mm. So it, it, you know, it's not. It's by no means a step backwards, but it's certainly like a step to the side. Um, and it's to, a step. Yeah, it's a step. <laughs> yeah. It's a step somewhere. Um, but uh, the scenes where uh, she she does uh, flashback that we discussed earlier remind me quite a lot of of Lynn Ramsey's film, which is going to be out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you were never really here, um, which is uh, it takes this idea of like memory and it takes this idea of trauma, yeah. um, and it does it in a in a it, it kind of does it. It goes all in. Yeah. Uh, Barnard didn't go all in because she wanted to tell this story in a yeah. kind of clearer way, I think. Um, but Lynn Ramsey's film, on the other hand, really like goes all out and it's all about it. It's like these scenes, these Ruth Wilson memory mm. scenes, but for the whole movie, you know. Um, and I think that's really interesting that you've got two, you know, women filmmakers both making similar kind of films about trauma and memory. Mm. And so she's it's adapting a um, adapting a book here, a French book, yeah. a French book, which you've read, Kelly, I'm sure. No? Yeah, in French. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think people sometimes forget that The Selfish Giant is an adaptation of an Oscar Wilde book. 
Mm. Like, and that's they're totally different. Mm. So, and even the Arbor is, you know, it does stick to tell the story of uh, of Andrea Andrea Dunbar and her children, but it does so in a very unexpected way for a biographical or a documentary film. So what Clara Barnard loves clearly loves doing is taking existing things and just taking the core sort of thematic elements of them and mm. adapting them to her, what she finds interesting outside of the source material. Which is great. So like Andrea Dunbar, she was clearly interested in the life of Andrea Dunbar, but also interested in the form of documentary and fiction and how those two things blend into each other. And mm-hmm. then The Selfish Giant, she's looking at the lives of two young boys in Bradford, which are totally different from the original Selfish Giant book. And again here, that uh, I don't know much about Trespass, but from what I gathered, it's more... There's a lot more going on, mm-hmm. and she just saw the relationship between her. a brother and a sister fighting mm-hmm. for ownership of something, and thought, "That's what I'm interested in." I'm just going to zoom in on that with a magnifying glass and expand it in what I really want to get out from it. That's very cool. Yeah, that's very cool, and I hope she continues to be given the freedom to do that. Totally. To be honest, yeah. Um, and it seems as though you know uh, the the people who are funding these films really like clear but not yeah. too. like they're giving her the opportunities to make these films in comparison to other you know british directors who are struggling at the moment like uh it's really great that they're uh they're, they're giving her this opportunity and uh, it'll be interesting to see if she does the same thing again with her next film mm. you know um to, to adapt something uh loosely adapt something yeah. rather than you know make it a, a, an original kind of uh, work um i can see that becoming a big part of her career actually yeah yeah really interesting to find out um should we talk about the ending but talk around it as well a little bit mm-hmm. because the ending is explosive and I feel like it doesn't need to be that melodramatic I agree it gets quite it, totally. it, it ramps it up yeah. quite a bit yeah. and I, I I think the film is so confident just having these two characters talking to each other for mm-hmm. most of the part mm-hmm. most of the film just and I think it maybe should have had more confidence in the dialogue mm-hmm. and confidence in the actors mm-hmm. it doesn't need to give us a big payoff for anything mm. um it could i feel like it could end at any point the film yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i i think it was um as with a lot of bernard's uh work the end in the last 10 minutes are exceptionally filmed yes um like there's a lot of like really interesting camera work going on there yeah and um, especially with the environment yeah like, exactly how they go really back mm-hmm. into nature and it gets super super claustrophobic and muddy mm. yeah and muddy <laughs> um and yeah yeah again yeah. It, it i like the i liked it uh, visually because of that kind of visceral aspect again but uh, you're right in that it, it feels very disconnected from the rest of the film mm. um, I, uh, did you ask Cleo about that in the interview Clio, yeah. Clio sorry because <laughs> um, that would have been interesting to know like um, if if that ending was always the one that she had in mind that would be interesting yeah yeah um, but uh, yeah it was uh, it was it was certainly explosive I'll give them that yeah yeah, yeah. it goes somewhere yeah mm. uh, also weird point there are three Game of Thrones actors in this film Oh, who are the three? You gotta work it uh, out. Oh, Sean Bean. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, uh, the guy that uh, that that uh, who plays. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The son who plays Gendry. Gendry, Gendry yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who was the last one? Oh, well, it's Joe. Yes, oh, yes, I he thought is, so. He's he is the brother. Gren. He's Gren from the Night's Watch. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. I don't yes. know Gran. I, I yes, I remember. He's, I remember. he's a brother of the Night's Watch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I thought he looked familiar. I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's... Uh, this is accent. I mean, every <laughs> single British actor's been in Game of Thrones, so that's not really a big statement. Yeah, well. that cast is only getting bigger yeah. or smaller, whichever way you look at it. But um, I heard Ruth Wilson compare her... She said she met... When she was researching the role, she met a sheepdog that was really just scared of people and didn't like looking them in the eye. 
and she said that um, she could sense that this dog maybe had a was from a traumatic had a traumatic past uh, life yeah. or whatever, and she loose very sort of took that into her own performance. This idea of a scared animal that doesn't want to look yes, people in the eye yes, anymore. Yes, hmm. you could see that. Yeah, and I, I like got part that. of this idea that um, Alice is this kind of this scared animal. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because I think you can see that it's not, she doesn't want it. Like she wants to be, I mean, her natural instinct, like an animal's would be, you know, to to, to um, instinctually, instinctively react to a situation. It, yeah. it is kind of like um, she's confident, you know, yeah. but something happens like a flashback comes back and, and throws her, you know, and she does kind of cower back into the small girl that you know she was made to feel when she was growing up mm, um mm. so that is an interesting point yeah well like apparently that. apparently um bernard made them work with uh a lot of psychologists as well during the film so it wasn't mm. it wasn't just the farm that she sent them to she actually talked to like a lot of like psychologists about how people react after a long-term trauma yeah um, and repressed uh, yeah repressed, repressed memories it. repressed trauma um, so yeah that idea of of her taking from this uh from the sheepdogs, really fascinating. Yeah. Really fascinating. Uh, any f- <coughs> any <laughs> final points before we wrap up on Dark River? I, I think that I think that Barnard uh, is going to go more. Uh, I I feel like she's going to go more kind of experimental with the next film okay. and make something that's maybe a little bit outside of the mainstream. And I think that's the direction she should uh, head in because the moments from this film that um that I like the most are those moments. Yeah. Um. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what she's got to do next. Mm-hmm. We, we're saying this is perhaps her most sort of her main, most mainstream film and her biggest film, but it's still like just pr- primarily set on a farm in North Yorkshire. She's <laughs> yeah. still in, you know, in some parameters and has major limitations with yeah. what she, with, with the resources she's given. Mm. And I think she does incredible things with that. So please do check out Dark River. Uh, but if you want to stay home this weekend, uh, you can check out The Ice King, available in Curzon Home Cinema. And from Monday, the 26th of February, The Death of Stalin will be on Curzon Cinema. <laughs> Both like Death of Stalin? Yeah. I didn't see Death of Stalin, actually. I'm a huge fan of Death of Stalin. It was so funny, man. It's really good. Yeah, I should see it. Yeah, big fan. Uh, Banned in Russia. (laughs) So, how surprising. If you're Russian and can't see it, (laughs) it's on Curzon Home Cinema. (laughs) Uh, So, if you have any thoughts on Dark River, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com and we can read them out on next week's show. Uh, And please leave a review and comment on our channels on iTunes and on Acast and please subscribe. So it's goodbye from Stephen. Bye-bye. Goodbye from Kelly. Bye. Goodbye from me. Uh, We're off to dip some sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.